today on Ag News Daily. I basically lived in Tanzania for a month in a small village called Rotia, and we traveled all around the different national parks, and we did research um, based on wildlife management. Listener of the episode today is brought to you by the Farm Smart Podcast. Subscribe now at nutrientagsolutions.com slash farm smart to get today's episode. And we appreciate their sponsorship, August 24th, 2023, Thursday episode. I wonder, Delaney, how many people go back and pick these episodes up a year from now? Mm, I don't know. We do see a good number of folks that are tuning in after they get posted 30, 60 plus days, but I don't know about a year. Yeah, that'd be interesting. A lot of our headlines are very timely, obviously, to the day and sometimes just to the week that we're recording. So that'd be kind of neat. Listeners, if you if you have picked up a show in the past that has been uh, more than two months old, let us know. We're just kind of curious how that plays out. But we will never forget, at least I won't forget for a long time, the extreme heat that we've been having here. Index is again in the central portion of the United States, Nebraska to southern Texas, East Ohio, and uh, looking at values in the range today of 110 to 117 degrees Fahrenheit. Of course, the real field temperature will be much higher than that. Central Indiana will see heat indexes reach as high as 113 degrees. Those working outside, of course, should wear loose clothing and pay attention to signs of heat-related illnesses. We're still looking here in Des Moines to be very warm, looking down at my watch, which is, of course, the official weather forecast for the state of Iowa, says we're going to get to 96 real temp. wonder what the real feel is going to be, Delaney. Yeah, and Tanner, for those folks thinking we were going to get a reprieve as we head out of this final stretch of heat, that doesn't sound like it's going to be the case. Of course, we're still in heat temperature or high heat temperatures right now. And in our, as of August 23rd, we were in the midst of the most extreme and most expansive stretch of the heat wave with temperatures in the 90 plus mark. But as we look into September, weather analysts are expecting us to have another heat flash as we head into harvest season. They said also the models don't suggest much precipitation. And usually when we see a drastic drop in temperatures, like we're going to see in the next week or two, that does usually bring rainfall with it, but that doesn't appear to be in the cards for too many locations. And like I said, we're going to see things potentially heat back up again, uh, second to third week of September. So right as a lot of combines are starting to roll into the fields. Yeah, I had saw that as well. Don't feel like that's going to be anything we're super excited about. Of course, we do see now that Moody's is estimating the wildfire wildfires in Maui are going to have caused at least $4 billion in economic losses, according to their recent study. The risk model agency estimates that there were more than 2,000 structures destroyed, which is anywhere from four to six billion in total property damage. That's not including up to $1 billion reflecting in the lost output of revenue during the period in which it takes to rebuild. At least 75% of the damage is thought to be possibly covered by insurance, which is good news. When we look into ethanol production, Delaney, not as great. The production declined while inventories also dropped to its lowest level in six weeks. Looking at 
1.048 million barrels for the week ending August 18th. That's down from 1.069. It's 3% decline in the ethanol stocks overall as well, as those dropped to 22.79 million barrels. So it's good to see some extra use of that ethanol, but let's get some production ramped back up to keep the demand high for our corn. Well, Tanner, one thing that may impact our corn this year as we head into that final growing season stretch is also par spot, which we had heard reports on the Pro Farmer Crop Tour in Indiana and some of the eastern leg states that Tar spot is certainly a concern this time of year. According to Vince Davis, an agronomic solutions area manager for BASF, he said that this is the time of year where conditions are perfect for tar spot. He said over the next eight to 10 days, that'll really determine whether tar spot is going to be a huge problem this season or not, but to keep an eye out for it. To date, farmers in at least 13 different states have reported finding tar spot in their fields this season, and that number could continue to grow. Here's three recommendations to consider prior to harvest. He said, take a look at the split stocks open to gauge stock health, especially when you see split stocks this time of year. Uh, you should still be able to see some integrity down to the stock level. He also said to try to do the pinch test down at the base of the plant. Just take your thumb and finger and try to pinch it together if you hear it crack and a lot of those are out in your fields doing that. That might be a sign that you're susceptible. And another key test is the push test, which can help farmers see if they're susceptible to disease. That's when you grab the plant right about ear height and you try to extend the stock over, pushing your arm out to full length. If they're snapping off and not coming back, that means you're more likely and more susceptible to diseases such as tar spot tanner. So just a few tests that you can run if you think your crops might be susceptible. That is good advice. There are no tests, though, at Diesel Camp. We're looking at some career doors opening for high school students in four states. More than 275,000 diesel mechanics are employed in the U.S., according to the Department of Labor, each year. However, there are roughly 28,500 diesel tech and mechanic jobs that are still unfilled to foster interest to the next generation. Ag companies like Titan Machinery have begun rolling out new hands-on program, programs to offer students the experience in diesel basics, including electrical hydraulics, drivetrain and powertrain, engines and fuel systems. The Titan program, Diesel Camp, hosted 9th and 10th grade high school students at four community technical colleges in Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, and South Dakota this month. Through these camps, the goal is to raise awareness and interest in the career of diesel technician, also to provide an opening to skilled trade careers and streamlined education opportunities at community colleges. The camps ranged in length from two to four days and had more than 140 students. Feedback showed that they mostly enjoyed getting their hands dirty and running the heavy equipment. Their favorite part of camp seems to be tied to the action. While Titan saw the participation from both genders, a study from Stanley Black and Decker reveals high school boys are more likely to be drawn to a skilled trade like diesel tech then girls, similarly, the parents of boys are more likely to see a trade career as an appealing option. So they're Titans working to foster the interest from all students in what their plans are for next year, 2024. 
they're already looking to host multiple dates of camp due to how popular it was this year, Delaney. Well, Tanner, it is kind of back to school week here on the Ag News Daily Podcast because we're going to be chatting with an intern who had a really interesting experience and traveled to Tanzania for the summer here. But before we get to that, we've got a few other headlines to wrap up. Pro Farmer Crop Tour results for day three are still showing a little bit of heat and stress on crops in Iowa and Illinois. The Western Legs started their trek yesterday in Nebraska City, Nebraska, and traveled to Spencer, Iowa. They continued to see improvements from 2022 and the drought that we saw in a lot of those areas. However, not all of the fields received the precipitation that they needed. Nonetheless, we still saw some very strong yields. In the in the Western Leg in Iowa, we saw soybean pods doing pretty well, still had pretty good fills there. And like I said, still seeing some dry areas, but all in all, seeing some reprieve compared to 2022's drought that we saw in a lot of Western Iowa and Eastern Nebraska. As far as corn yields go for the state of Iowa, we saw yield estimates for this year's Pro Farmer Crop Tour come in at a 182.5. That's up about a bushel and a half compared to the 2022 numbers we saw on Pro Farmer Crop Tour. On the eastern leg from in Illinois, Indiana to Illinois, we once again saw some indications of heat stress with, you know, 100 plus degree temperatures here. That'll certainly do it. But as far as pod fill count, those were pretty strong, higher than last year's number coming in at a 1,270.8 in those three by three squares. And corn yield estimates for the state of Illinois also came in higher compared to 2022 at a 193.7. So today we'll see the final wrap up of the pro farmer crop doer as folks put together their final thoughts. And we'll be sure to talk about that on the podcast next week with Ted Seifert, who is on the pro farmer crop tour, Tanner. Absolutely. Hopefully they're staying well hydrated. The U.S. Forest Service will provide up to $150 million for a project that will link small acreage and underserved forest owners with the emerging climate market. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack said yesterday, the USDA said forest owners with small amounts of land are often fenced out of carbon markets because contracts are aimed larger tracts of land. If you've got healthy, resilient forests that can store carbon, provide critical habitat for wildlife, and grow the forest resources, that is a lifeblood to communities across the country. Vilsack announced that the funding for the Sustainable Forestry and African American Land Retention Conference is where this announcement was made in southeastern Georgia. It's noticed on their website as well for the Forest Service link. Nonprofit groups and some are available for those profit groups could apply for their share up to $150 million. The money would be spent on an array of activities such as developing strategies to overcome the barriers coming into carbon markets. So it's interesting as we've talked a lot about the carbon pipeline and uh, carbon credits themselves, now seeing our listeners that have maybe portions of their farms in forest reserve, another link to tie small acre tracks into the carbon market. Well, Tanner, I think I am almost out of headlines here, aside from some updates coming out of the Black Sea region. Nibulon, which is a leading Ukrainian grain exporter, said on Wednesday that their warehouses in the southern Ukrainian region of Odessa had suffered slight damage during the overnight 
drone strike we reported on yesterday on the podcast, making it the eighth drone strike in this area. They said on the night of August 23rd, the Bessara, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but the Bessarabian branch of Nibulon was attacked by the Russian Federation and warehouses were just slightly damaged. They said they've already continued with normal operations. So that drone strike probably was not considered successful by the Russian Federation, Tanner. However, as we know, they did get big hits in the port of Ismail overnight, where we reported yesterday that export capacity had been reduced by about 15% and destroyed about 13,000 metric tons of grain. But the Odessa strike was largely unsuccessful. That's uh, it's about as good a news as you could get. The Biden administration has approved a $500 million arms sale to Taiwan as it ramps up its military presence. Uh, the is in despite of objections coming from China. The State Department made this announcement on Wednesday. The biggest headline coming out of Russia right now is the Kremlin is remaining silent on the plane crash that had 10 people aboard, no survivors. The Wagner Group founder, Yev Prisgnon, Prisgen, I can never think about the correct pronunciation there, was aboard that plane, or at least is supposedly to have been aboard that plane that has no survivors northwest of Moscow. Just months after he launched a mutiny against the Russian military leadership, this appears to be a very questionable event. The Kremlin has yet to comment on the crash. Ten people were aboard and eight bodies have been found, which is another twist to this as well. President Joe Biden suggested that Putin may have been behind the crash, stated, I don't know for a fact what happened, but I'm not surprised. Ukrainian forces carried out what appeared to be one of Kiev's most complex and ambitious operations to date against the Russian military forces on the Crimean Peninsula. So we'll continue to keep an eye on the progressions there, and especially the progressions of the story that might have had the Wagner chief in the plane that has no survivors left. Well, Tanner, I don't have any final headlines left aside from markets. What about you? That's it. Let's get into markets. All right. Well, as we look at markets here heading into the opening session, overnights were mixed. September corn down four and a half cents at 471 and three quarters. Dece, new crop corn down four and a quarter cent at 486 and a quarter. Soybeans here today will open two cents higher in the September contract at 1361 and a half. November new crop beans will open two and a half cents higher at 13.63. September hard red winter wheat down five cents in the overnight to open at 7.50. September spring wheat down a penny and a half at 7.83. And Chicago September spring, excuse me, Chicago September wheat down four and a quarter cent at 6.08 and a quarter. Livestock and a quick reminder at where they closed yesterday, October live cattle added a nickel to close at a buck 7867 and a half September feeders down 42 and a half cents at 24857 and October lean hogs shed a dollar oh two and a half at 7855 Tanner as I mentioned students are heading back to school this week and so Jennifer caught up with a fellow Iowa State student who spent her summer in Tanzania so we're gonna turn it over to that conversation now with the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform 
or at NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. Well, listeners, we know that we like to feature international items here on the podcast. So today we have Amy Taylor with us, who spent a large portion of her summer in Tanzania doing research over there. Amy, if you would like to introduce yourself a little more and then just talk about what you did in Tanzania, we'd love to get started like that. Hi, so my name is Amy Taylor. I'm a senior at Iowa State, and I study animal science and global resource systems with a minor in ecology. Part of global resource systems, uh, to graduate, you have to have a global internship, which is super exciting. So for my global internship, I participated in the School for Field Studies uh, Carnivores of the African Plains program. And they have lots of programs during the semester. They have two during the summer. And I did this summer session two program, which was the large African carnivores. And then the summer one program is wildlife management. So uh, including this, I basically lived in Tanzania for a month in a small village called Rotia. And we traveled all around the different national parks and we did research um, based on wildlife management. We got to see the Big Five, which was super exciting. For those of you who don't know, uh, the Big Five is like elephants, lions, hyenas, um, uh, hippos, and then, oh, there's definitely one more I can't remember. Um, Oh, wildebeest. So we tour around the different national parks and we do a lot of research. And there's a bunch of other students from around the world, so it's a third-party program, but I did find it through Iowa State. Wow, so it sounds like you've gotten to see a lot of interesting things this summer, have met a lot of interesting people, and learned a lot. So let's dive into the research that you did. What were you exactly researching, and how did you go about it? Yeah, so there were four separate, I guess, like, I guess in Iowa State we would call them modules, but wildlife management was the first one, and then there was human-animal conflict, and then we had to learn about each large carnivore itself, so that was an entire term, and then um, wildlife management with an emphasis on sustainability for our very last, like, unit, and within each of those we did things like, well, for the human-animal conflict we went to a village in uh, Karatu, and the village was mostly Maasai people, and Maasai are pastoralists, so they only um, live and take care of what they need to survive. So they live in a community that um, is made mostly of like bomas and bandas, and a banda would be like a home made of like a stick structure and then the walls are made of straw and like a combination of cow poop and dust. And so we would go to a Maasai village and we'd help create a boma. Um, And then at one point we would help create a banda too. And the bandas are for the, I think it's the other way around the, sorry. Um, I'm still practicing my Swahili as I'm back in Iowa, but uh, the banda is where they live and the boma is where they keep their livestock. So the boma is made of these really big, thick trees that all have like all these prickly thorns on them. And there's like normally a circular like area where they stay and then they let them out during the day. And normally the females will do a lot of the work and then the males will um, go and work on the farms. And then at night, they bring them back into the Bomas. So part of our research was going into these villages and saying, hey, what's your relationship with carnivores? What do you think of them? Because they don't have any protection. The only thing that they have is like 
spears and then whatever kind of uh, boma they create to protect their animals and because of that they've had a lot of issues especially with like the way that ecotourism is causing the migration of large carnivore species they have hyenas and wild dogs and burbots and mongoose coming into their villages and eating all of their chickens and their um, goats and a lot of the time their cows and since they depend on those for their livelihoods it you know, there's some conflict there. So part of our research was to go and find out what's the conflict, how do we help solve it in a sustainable way. Wow. So definitely very, very intense subjects that you were looking into. And it looks like you were able to get your hands dirty a few times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so kind of touch a little bit more on what you just talked about in relation to how it was affecting the people in the villages and their uh, livestock that they own in that area. Yeah, so the hard part is that uh, a very successful boma is made of like chicken wire and um, like metal fences. And we made one of those too, but they're really expensive. And because of like the climate and because of how long it can take to make a boma, we actually made one for a different village in Arusha at one point. And it, t it took like 20 of us the entire day to make one. And after a while, it was really complicated. Like I had cuts and bruises all over my hands. Like it can be really complicated. And then even after that, they don't really hold over time. So that's a big difficulty. And it's illegal to, um, to kill any African animal, like any African large carnivores, unless you're being attacked. And if you're being attacked, it's kind of too late. So uh, a lot of the time, the, the things that they use to protect themselves uh, are like spears and like if you make lots of loud noises, but prevention is best, basically the best way to take care of your livestock. So when we got there and we were interviewing, we were like, well, what is your opinion on large carnivores? Like, what do you think? And the consensus was, you know, they're dangerous, but they're beautiful. And there's a mutual respect and their culture really relies on the ecosystem and its balance and so they really have a, an appreciation for them but the balance at one point included them being able to you know coexist in a way that you know they could defend themselves in the proper way and now they really can't because of the government and the government to implement better um i guess like better species populations they start to um like they start to raise wild dogs or uh, hyenas, especially animals that are, you know, going extinct, and uh, then they'll introduce them close to the national parks, close to the villages, and then they're not allowed to kill them. So it's like, you, you know, where do you where do you start? Where do you begin with uh, this human animal conflict? But it's it was really interesting to hear firsthand how um, how scary it can be to live near wildlife. And we got the opportunity to do that a few times when we were on game drives, because in the Serengeti, when you're camping there, there's no fences around the camps and you're obviously in the park itself and you have the same rules that they do. And at one point we were 20 feet away from a large elephant herd and they were getting closer and we we're like, all right, there's the prey, now where are the predators? And since most predators hunt at night, and none of us as campers for safety were allowed out of our tents, but there were guards all throughout the night. But we heard large elephant trumpeting around 2 a.m. and some lion roaring, and then some elephant death 
and I was freaking out in my tent and we were totally safe, but it was like 20 to 30 feet away. And our, I mean, we were trained for this. So we knew to stay in our tents. We knew they wouldn't come and like be anywhere near us, but you know, we woke up and they were right there. So that was just such a surreal experience that that was happening so close to us. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what people who live out there and pastoralist communities have to deal with all the time. It's just the unknown. Animals are unpredictable. Wow. Yeah. That is intense. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a once in a lifetime experience through this program. And I'm sure you're going to take a lot of this back throughout your entire career. So honestly, what is an overall point that you would take home from what you've learned through your internship this summer and gained through the experience? That is a really great question. Um, Well, you know, I feel like the time that I spent there emerging myself in the culture really, really impacted the way that I thought about everything because there were times that I was like, oh my gosh, if I had signed up for a program like this that was through Iowa State or in the U.S., there would be so many more um, regulations, so many more safety precautions that would just be like preventing something from happening that probably wouldn't happen. And really being able to immerse yourself in a culture for that long. Excuse me. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this in Rome. If we were in Rome for two weeks, we wouldn't have had the same experience. Like you have to immerse yourself for the whole month. You have to talk to the people. You have to make connections. And that's the only way that you can really study abroad to me you have to just be able to be open to new experiences and adjust to different things. And it's hard and it's scary, but I think the sooner you start, the easier it is. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you had an incredible experience. Even though we just talked for about 10 minutes, you shared some amazing information that I'm sure many of our listeners were very intrigued by. So thank you for joining us today, Amy. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time. With the Farm Smart podcast, we're not just talking change, we're making change together. Farm Smart is where sustainability meets opportunity. We're helping growers leverage sustainable practices and products to record positive environmental impacts and provide new revenue streams. Tune in to learn more about sustainable ag and the opportunities and incentives that are enabling us to get to the future faster. Get the Farm Smart podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at nutrientagsolutions.com/farmsmart. What a unique story. Glad we had the opportunity to share that with our listeners. Remember, if you haven't yet, subscribe to Farm Smart Podcast on your favorite streaming platform or visit nutrientagsolutions.com slash farmsmart. Of course, hit subscribe for our podcast and we'll be back again tomorrow with a fun Friday conversation. Right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. With that, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go.